to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. We are continuing to plow through our request list. Today's request comes from Chase. Thank you so much, Chase, for submitting this on Facebook. And you requested us to do 1981's Possession, a very interesting choice of film, probably one that most of our listeners had not heard of before. Uh, This was um, written and directed by, (laughs) and I'll butcher this name, uh, but it's a Polish name, (laughs) Andrzej Zulowski. Probably a a good, serious cinemaphile. This is probably a name they would know. Uh, He's a pretty famous director of art house films that died about four years ago or so. Uh, But he has a number of films that he has released that... um, have one reason or another been lauded on the circuit, uh, particularly in Europe. Uh, They've done quite well in Europe, not so big in the U.S., but he's more of an art house film director, so I think a lot of his movies more appeal to the European crowd uh, than the U.S. crowd, which is more used to the straightforward Hollywood movies. I feel like when we do these kind of films, if you're an American listening to us, you probably are... You probably have never heard of these movies. Maybe if you're overseas and you've listened to us, you have a wider breadth of film knowledge. Maybe you have more of a global sense of of movies. And maybe your tolerance for movies that defy the typical Hollywood formula is a little bit higher. And uh, this movie would definitely fall into this vein. I thought it was funny that this was requested. And I believe that when he requested this, Chase had said, I know it's off the beaten path of the type of horror y'all review. (laughs) But um, his birthday was last March, so we got to give him something, right? So this is what we did, Possession. It it just so turns out um, that this is a movie that I've actually been interested in watching for quite a while. When Craig and I When I went off to China several years ago, I made a list of movies and I downloaded a bunch of movies that Craig and I should watch, and this happened to be on it. So it actually has been on our list from my perspective, but I'm not sure that Craig has ever heard this movie before. Am I wrong? Uh, I don't think I had. I mean, you know, the title, Possession, that's pretty generic, so I don't know if I had ever heard of it or not, but I definitely was unfamiliar with... uh, you know what it was all about. So it it was completely new to me. I knew nothing about it going in at all. Gotcha. Except for that Sam Neill's in it and I like him. So I was excited about that. Yeah, this is a pretty young Sam Neill in this movie. It's pretty fun to watch that. Sam Neill, you guys probably remember from Jurassic Park and about a, th- a thousand other movies. Yeah. Uh, if you're into horror, uh, In the Mouth of Madness was a big one. I believe that's a John Carpenter movie that he starred in. And also Event Horizon, which right. we've got to do someday because that movie is freaky as hell. And Sam Neill was in that. He is an Irish-born actor who is more or less raised in New Zealand. And uh, this is one of his earliest films. It might be the fifth or sixth film that he ever did. And it kind of (laughs) shows. I don't know. I I feel like his acting in this movie is not so great. It's a little over the top. Uh, It's almost a little laughable. And I think they actually got a lot of critical... Well, this movie divided critics considerably when it came out. It was a huge hit in France. So the director is Polish. (laughs) It was filmed in West Germany. It was released worldwide. It did extremely well in France, but it was filmed in English because the producer of the film 
believed that uh, she could sell it pretty well worldwide if it was shot in English. Unfortunately, it was so good in France, but the French version was completely dubbed. I watched a commentary from the director, and he mentioned that it was a bit of a shame that that they didn't shoot it in French, <laughs> just because it did so well there. The French people had to deal with a dubbed version that didn't have quite the same impact. In any case, this movie is going to be interesting to talk about, because there's a ton to unpack here. But you know that Craig and I are separated by distance right now, so we don't sit in the same room when we watch movies. So <laughs> Craig sent me a text about an hour before I watched this film that said, What the... Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gosh, I just had no idea what I was getting into. And it's interesting that you say that his acting is maybe a little bit amateurish and really over the top. I don't know. I, the movie is so bizarre that I felt like all of that was intentional. It could be. As kind of crazy and frenetic and over the top as he plays it his performance pales in comparison to the oddity of his co-star's performance uh <laughs> isabel ajani is a french actress who the director of this movie had seen i think in a play you, i only watched the first part of the commentary it was late and i couldn't get all the way through it but i i he had seen her i think in a play when she was really young, like 15, when this movie, when when it landed in his lap or when he wrote it or whatever, he had her specifically in mind, and he went to her to ask her to play this role, and at first she was hesitant because she felt like she was too young because she's supposed to be um, a mother, uh, and I guess he reminded her that she was, in fact, a mother, so she wasn't too young to play a mother. So she did it, and she is just batshit crazy throughout this whole movie <laughs> and and there are so many odd levels that she plays mm. i mean you have to appreciate it at, at the very least and sh it was appreciated she won um best actress at Cannes for this and another role uh that she played i just honestly i don't know what to make of this movie it, it's mm. it's weird i feel like maybe it went over my head I, I don't know it's insane i don't even know how to talk about it there are a lot of levels to this movie right there's it's just layered with symbolism and like you said it doesn't follow a cohesive it does actually follow a, a bit of a plot and a bit of a narrative but it it seems to jump in time maybe at least once and like you said, it's quite over the top. I completely agree with you, by the way, about Sam Neill's performance. I, I will always, and people who've listened to this podcast, I think, have heard me say this before, I'll always give an actor a, a bit of a pass on their performance because they're really in the hands of their director, right? Mm -hmm. The director has the vision. They, tells them, they tell them how to perform, and a professional's just going to say, you know, the director says, I want you over the top. You're going to be like this, this, whatever. And a professional actor is just going to trust that the director has a vision in mind and they're going to do their best to match the vision of the director. So I'm not saying that Sam Neill is a poor actor in this movie. No. But like you say, it, it, it may be very intentional that the director intended his performance to be like a heightened reality, right? Just like <laughs> over the top, as is so much of this film. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All Basically, of it. Basically, you're right. It's, it's really, really weird. And to the point that now I, I just want to say up front that I'm really glad 
that Chase uh, recommended this because I don't think that I would have seen it otherwise. But it really kind of disturbed me. Like, mm, mm. It, I, I was thinking about it all the rest of the day and into the night, and uh, I don't know. Like, it, it's still, it, it's really, really unsettling. And I didn't know what was going on. Like, mm. like you said, there is a narrative. And the director, writer-director was inspired to write this movie when going through his own messy divorce. And everything that I've read about it says that that's really what it's about. It's about the dynamics of a relationship in turmoil and falling apart. And you definitely can see that, but it's so heightened reality. It's, it's, it's surreal. It's, it's dreamlike. Yeah. That it, it just seems like you're, like four steps outside of reality. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> these things couldn't pot. Nobody acts this way. All right. So when it and starts yet, out, this guy. And yet, Craig. And yet, and yet what? Just a moment. As a guy who's been married for 20 years, I have to say there were points of this movie that were uncomfortably close to home. That you <laughs> And I know you've been, uh, you know, together with your partner for quite a while, too, but. There were moments in this movie where I was like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of y- people younger than I would see this particular scene or whatever as a sort of crazy, uh, heightened, like, superlative. However, I'm pretty sure my wife and I have had arguments like this before. Uh, maybe admitting too much, but... <laughs> no, you haven't. You're a liar. That's not <laughs> no, true. He's God. lying. His Dude, wife have... is a lovely woman and she I, she is no you're just straight up lying because okay oh, so i wish i this <laughs> this guy i just don't believe it so i don't even really understand what's going on so the opening scene is when he's like uh sam neil his name is mark main character he's driving through berlin um and of course you know this is before the wall came down the wall is still up we see that there the apartment that he and his wife live in is actually right near the wall so it's a constant visual which i think is also you know symbolic of a nation sure. divided sure. all this stuff but he, and he gets home and we find out immediately his wife basically greets him in the courtyard of their apartment building you can't just say you don't know that's what you said on the phone when will you know I don't know. Do you want me to spend the night somewhere else? In a hotel or something? Do you want us to meet later on? We can talk more calmly. Do you... Do you need more time? What... What do you need? What has happened? Bob knows that you are coming back today. So there's clearly something going on. He has been gone for a period of time doing I don't know what. (laughs) It's the big mystery. There's this establishing scene where he's sitting in, like it's set up kind of like a conference room, like in the corner of this huge like warehouse building. And he's sitting in front of a panel of men and it seems like he's reporting something to them, like some findings, like he was an investigator or, or something. Or a spy. Or a spy? Yeah, I don't it's it's all it's all very ambiguous you don't know but right away i knew that i was in for a ride because the way that this scene was shot was so odd like it was in this huge cavernous room and the camera just sweeps around and around and around like Mm. 
I don't even know how they do that. Is it on <laughs> track? Is it on wheels? Like, yeah, but it seems like in this scene, because the shot was so wide, they were doing some kind of steady cam thing, and it showed a bit because it wasn't the smoothest of um, you know of sweeps around. But yeah, uh, there's a lot in this of that cinematography in this movie, right? There's a lot of this sweeping around people and stuff. A lot in this particular scene, probably not on tracks, but yeah, in, in most other scenes, definitely on tracks. Yeah. And it, it's disorienting because you it, it messes with your perception. And for me, I kept thinking, how am I not seeing? Because it does 360 so much. How am I not seeing crew? How am I not seeing equipment? Mm. How am I not seeing reflections? There's one scene in a restaurant where they're sitting, the two main characters are sitting in front of mirrors at a 90 degree angle. And you never see the reflection of the camera or the cameraman. You barely even see the reflection of the actors. Themselves. And it was... Yeah. I know. It was so weird. Okay. Like, I couldn't figure it out. That scene was fantastic. That scene was great. Like, this couple, like you said, they, they meet up with each other. They have this awkward conversation on the corner. She storms away. He grabs all of his bags and walks after her. Her name is Anna. Anna, right? And they have a son. Yeah, uh-huh. And they go in there, and then, like you said, um, they're, they're laying in bed. There's this scene of the two of them sitting next to each... laying next to each other, and... She says, uh, were you faithful to me? And his response is sort of like, mm, not really. And Pretty much. No, it's like, pretty much. Pretty or, much. Yeah, that, right. She's like, something like that. Were you unfaithful? Not really. Like, I, I, what does that even mean? Okay, but anyway. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And he asks the same thing of her, and she's basically like, no. You know, and so they have this very antagonistic type of relationship like like they when they left they were in the middle of a fight and when they come back it's like they're picking it back up again kind of but at the same time there's still intimacy between them like yeah you know they're very comfortable together nude and laying in bed and like i i couldn't tell if it was implied that they had made love or they hadn't like yeah i thought that they hadn't because at some point he says something like i'm not i don't even want to touch you or something i don't know like it's they're laying there very intimately nude together in bed touching you know side by Mm -hmm. side Mm -hmm. but then there's this coldness between them two and then he wakes up in the middle of the night and she's gone she calls him i think the next day and says the truth of the matter is i have taken a lover and i want to leave you and he is not willing to accept that and he says i meet me somewhere and yeah. and she says that she will and so they meet at this restaurant and that's where that weird scene happens but not before he goes through all of her stuff right he's looking through her stuff he looks through her bookshelf he sees all these weird like psychological type books on there that almost look like they're labeled Religious, yeah yeah like they came from a library or something and uh he finds um a postcard that you know when he flips it around we see uh it's addressed to her and it's very kind of loving thing from somebody named heinrich later on his son mentions something about getting this toy boat from an uncle heinrich so he pretty quickly zeroes in on who it you know the name of this guy and like you said they meet at this restaurant and this restaurant scene is so good it's like a weird booth situation where it's at a corner so he's sitting at a table uh, in kind of a booth thing, and there's a mirror behind him, and then there's a corner, and she comes, and instead of sitting opposite him like normal people would do, 
She sits down next to him, but that's around the corner. <laughs> so she's Cat, right, like catty corner. Yeah, right. catty corner. And she's sitting at another table, and there's a mirror behind her. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you had the same feeling, but the whole time I'm watching this scene, which, as you said, sweeps from her to him, I cannot help but be distracted by the fact that you cannot see their reflections in the mirror. I know I couldn't figure it out. It was so- yes, totally. I couldn't figure it out, and I thought because it was so odd. I thought, oh my gosh, there's something weird here. Like, I didn't think they were vampires, but I'm like, is this supposed to be like, you know, they're soulless or they're not really there? And and I still have no idea. Now, at at one point, he kind of leans forward and his reflection does come into the frame of the mirror just a little bit. Briefly, almost like a mistake, really. Yeah, it's so strange. And basically they fight, and she says that, you know, she's going to stay with this other guy, Heinrich, and he says, fine, but I don't want anything to do with you, and I don't want anything to do with Bob, which I thought was a dick move, but... (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And so then I don't even remember how it escalates. It starts out relatively calm. Like, he's pretty agitated, but she's pretty calm. And then it escalates, and he goes crazy. Yeah, he he. There's a passage of time. He's in whatever apartment or whatever he's staying in, and you see that he's grown a beard and he's like sweaty. He looks like a guy going through drug withdrawal. Yeah, but 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 even before that, still, but still in the restaurant, he freaks out. Yeah, oh and yeah, like starts throwing chairs. Yeah, and he's chasing her through the restaurant like he's trying to get her, like to hurt her, and he's throwing <laughs> chairs and like. The whole kitchen staff has to come out and tackle him. He gets tackled by like four chefs wearing these tall French, you know, chef hats. It's it's actually kind of comical, actually, by the time he gets to her. But you're just so taken by the violence of this situation. And like you said, it's like at any moment when these two characters interact, there's the potential. And I'd say about 80% of the time it happens where it just unreasonably escalates into extreme violence right between them they're throwing stuff around they're like running around the room and they're never looking at each other when they talk to each other it's just a marriage completely broken and two people who completely fail to communicate with each other and everything is just at at level 11 yeah Uh, it's very unsettling it, that, that's it, exactly. And that's why, like you said, like he goes on a binge, I, I guess a drinking binge or a drug binge or something. And yeah, it's like you see him. It's like he's in a seedy motel. It's like he's going through withdrawals. And then after some time passes, he goes back home. And when he gets home, he finds his son there alone. I don't know how long the son is supposed to have been there, but like the, the apartment's a mess. The kid is disheveled and like dirty and covered in food. I think the implication is three weeks because he says something to some maid who pops in the room and she, he says, how long have I been this way? And she says about three weeks. And when he goes back to his son, it's like, it can't be that long though. Nah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll take that back. He's a little kid. Yeah, I mean, he's he's maybe like six. I don't know. Yeah. And so then she comes back, and again, there are these confrontations. And this is the first, like, 45 minutes of the movie is really mostly just about their marital strife. But what bothered me so much about it is exactly what you said. It's very incredibly violent. And I'm just not accustomed to that like it and it's it's such a bizarre chemistry because 
as much animosity and violence as there is, he's constantly begging her to come back. Yeah. Begging. <laughs> he is. And at some point, he says, you know, I know you've got this other guy. You can keep seeing him. I don't care. Tell him you love him. I don't care. And it goes back and forth. Sometimes he says you have to leave him. Sometimes he says, I don't, w- I don't care what you do so long as you come home to me sometimes. But they get in these viciously violent fights. And there's one in particular where he really... I think she hits him first, I think. Yes. But then he hits her multiple times. And it's just so troubling to watch. And meanwhile, this whole time, she goes... She vacillates between, like, fragile and seeming like she doesn't really know what she wants to almost just, like, completely out of it, like, completely spaced out. Like, her eyes are out of focus, and she's not looking at him, and it's like she's staring off into the distance. Like, she's insane. Part of the reason that it was so surreal to me, one of the things was that nobody seemed to acknowledge the fact that she was fucking crazy. (laughs) Like, why isn't anybody taking a second to acknowledge that she is fucking crazy? (laughs) I I didn't get it. it. It was so weird. It is weird. It is weird. And and she's got this other guy named Heinrich, who's this German guy. And he's weird, too. You know, I told you he finds the postcard. Uh, Mark finds his postcard. This, this address to Heimrich's. So he has a name. And they also have apparently sort of a mutual friend. Marge. And she, I mean, the the characters of this film are really these two, Marge and Heinrich. There really are no other characters in the movie. There are a few people who come and go, but that's about it. So he calls Marge and he's looking for information about her. Uh, I'm sorry, about Heinrich. And at one point, Heinrich just calls him. And there is with me. So he gets Heinrich's uh, address, and he goes to Heinrich's house. And Heinrich is this, like, foofy kind of guru, new-agey guy who, right away, you can tell he's a total douchebag. And he gets really handsy with him. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to, you're going to have to, like, be this, like, crazy. (laughs) Because I thought they were going to like <laughs> what so it was so weird and, and it's not just them there are several scenes between men who barely know each other at all mm. and they are right up in each other's faces touching each other caressing each Almost other kissing one of the one of the guys when this happens the guy actually does turn out to be gay and i was like oh well <laughs> good i guess because i was so confused (laughs) i really thought heinrich was trying to seduce mark i did uh, too in that scene and and it's filmed like a dance it's another one of those scenes where the camera is spinning around and around and around them and not only is this the camera spinning around them but they are spinning around each other in the opposite direction so it looks like a choreographed dance mm, that they're like doing. a waltz yes yeah it, it's bizarre and then heinrich ends up instead of having sex with him <laughs> he ends up beating the shit out of him yeah they they both t- take turns at each other and they get 
I listened to uh, an audio commentary by the director about this movie, and the guy, who, there was like a facilitator, and the facilitator was like, so tell me a little bit about Heinrich. And the director was like, oh, I, I hate this guy. <laughs> he's a total douchebag. He's like the essence of the douchebag, you know, that I basically put in this movie. Totally out to lunch, completely just cares about banging this girl. But then it turns out that these two guys are nothing compared to who this girl's really sleeping with. There's actually a third person, if you will, which is sort of where her heart lies. And this is where the movie gets really bizarre. And you've got to have a lot of patience for this kind of film. Like what we're talking about here, the heightened reality, all of the craziness, all of the weirdness, all of the very blurred lines that are happening everywhere. I think that, you know, this is very European. This is like the movie, again is like kind of a poem. The things that these people are doing and the actions that are taking places and the visuals on the screen are really more reflective of the emotional states of the characters than supposed to be representative of a reality. I mean, normally, people don't really act like this in real life. What we're seeing on the screen is just sort of a reflection of the emotional states of everybody, which has to have this effect of jarring us into this state of mind ourselves, right? So... It's just a sort of um, high-octane uh, cinema to try to pull us into this story and get us into the minds of these characters, getting us feeling what they're feeling, getting us as frustrated as they are. And I think it really, really works at this level, you know? I mean, there are moments in this movie where the character is looking at the camera, and addressing the camera, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and that's uncomfortable and it's unsettling, but it does the job, you know, it gets us, uh, like, I felt like Mark at a lot of these points. I felt a frustration at her. I felt anxious and, you, like you said, it's just an uncomfortable movie to watch, right? Yeah, I, uh, like, the things that we've ex talked about so far though they are kind of crazy are really just kind of warming us you up you know human drama <laughs> yeah human drama kind of stuff meanwhile there's some other weird shit going on like she at one point goes and stands underneath a crucifix for an excruciatingly long time and just looks up at it and like grunts mm. for a while mm. okay that was weird and then <laughs> yeah yeah that's just like, mm, like i i don't i have no idea what was going on there. One of the times that they fight, she's like ferociously like chopping and grinding meat. Oh. And then she takes the electric meat carver and cuts her own neck with it. That, by the way, that was a fantastic scene. I mean, this scene was great. This, I mean, this is like the best scene in the movie as far as I'm concerned, because it was very symbolic and poetic and like you said, over the top and uncomfortable, but it also is in a psychological way kind of reflective of how you can get in these intense arguments with somebody else that just sort of feel like the end of the world. Like they're arguing with each other. They're not looking at each other pretty much the most of the time. She's in the kitchen with this automatic uh, cutter thing, you know, these like, um, what do they call those? Yeah, electric knives carver, or whatever? Uh, electric carver. Yeah. Cutting up meat and then putting it in the meat grinder. There's this constant noise of this meat grinder, plus you're watching her push meat through a meat grinder. I mean, the symbolism here, you could almost fault it for just being a little too heavy as well, right? It's a little pretentious. Yeah. They're fighting, they're arguing, and she's here grinding meat through this thing. 
right to behave this way. What have I done that you hate me so much? Nothing. Huh? I deserve off this. It. No. Get off it. Told you. Get off. Coming Get around. off. Get off. This is disgusting. Just the fact that that noise is always there and they're arguing and pretty soon things are getting thrown and you're wondering, is, is her hand going to end up in that freaking thing? She tr- she cuts herself on the neck, to which he, like you said earlier, immediately switches and becomes the doting husband where he runs and gets her her thing and wraps it around her, him, herself, leaves her, goes to the kitchen and takes that same carver and starts carving his own wrist. He, he does like a three cuts down his arm and almost barely has a reaction. And she walks in and says, it doesn't hurt. No. It's just this numbness that this couple has reached. This like emotional level where they're just at this point where nothing they're so emotionally numb because they're so they're arguing so much that just nothing phases them anymore. And it's this visual representation of that in the film. I thought it was brilliant. It's extremely art house, you know, it's definitely not Hollywood style. But there was a part of me, again, I know you don't believe it, but as a guy who's been married for 20 years and has his fair share of pretty intense fights, you know, with his wife over those years, in a weird way, emotionally, I could kind of relate to this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm saying too much. <laughs> y- yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's put it all in context. You're going <laughs> to let a little time pass, and then you're going to realize you're going to want to do some editing. <laughs> it's it's all right. It's all right, audience. Our spouses don't listen to this podcast anyway. No. <laughs> she won't know. You know, I, I wouldn't say for sure we've reached the depths of the despair that this couple has reached. But what I can say is I can understand it. I kind of get what you're saying. When you when you love somebody that much and you get into disagreements, it can get very passionate. And it's, it's intense because of the feelings that you have for each other. Right. Right? That's what you're saying. Yeah, that's right? exactly okay. what I'm saying. Thank you. <laughs> you saved me there. I, get I appreciate that. that. <laughs> so there's that weird thing, and that's weird. And then, so she then just very calmly leaves. Previously, he had hired a private investigator to follow her because neither he nor Heinrich know where she is. Mm. She told Mark that she was living with Heinrich, but she's not. And Heinrich doesn't know where she is either. So Mark has hired this PI. This PI sources out, I guess, a detective, and this detective follows her from Mark's apartment <laughs> through the city where she's acting totally weird. Um, like she goes to the market and then she gets on a train that only has one other passenger on it, like a hobo, and she sits down right next to him and is completely too oblivious to him to the point where he like takes a banana out of her bag and eats it right next to her. And I'm like, yeah. what is happening? <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what does this mean? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Okay, so then they, they get off the train, and he follows her into, like, this old building. And I guess it's kind of run down. And eventually, like, he kind of pussyfoots around, but eventually he knocks on the door and claims to be, like, a building inspector or something. He says, like, there is glass on the ground below, and so they have to find where the windows are broken. And she clearly doesn't want him to come in. Like, she's trying to keep him out, but he insists... 
and he's looking all around. Finally, he gets to the back room, which is the bathroom, and he opens the door, and there is some sort of bloody, oozy, demon creature. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't, it's dark, and you can't really see it. It just kind of looks like in Hellraiser. Yeah. When the guy, you know, is is coming back, but he's all bloody and gross. Kind of like that, except not as human. Mm. Super weird. And so then he's just standing there, like, mesmerized by it, and she comes up behind him, hits him in the back of the head with a wine bottle, and then stabs him in the neck with the broken shards of it. Mm-hmm. So now she's killing people. She's got this secret apartment with some kind of weird thing in it. <laughs> I, I have no idea what it is. I, I'm, I'm going fast because I've been trying to get to this. The next surreal thing to me was Mark takes Bob to school and Bob's teacher is identical to Anna, yeah. except for she has lighter color hair and these weirdly bright green eyes. And I say identical because they're played by the same actress. Mm-hmm. He notices, Mark notices right away. He's like, What is this, a joke? What are you talking about? I'm in your way. What? (laughs) Sorry, it's impossible. (laughs) Have you ever seen my wife? Naturally, every day of the school (laughs) year. And then that's it. They never address it again. Mm. The fact that these two women are doppelgangers. Yeah. That's just it. Like, yeah. It's never discussed again. And it's so weird. (laughs) It brings a unique balance to the movie that pays off later, right? I I was thinking of Eyes Wide Shut in this regard. Did you ever see Eyes Wide Shut? A hundred years ago when it came out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, Where like the wife and the husband both sort of go through their own... Um, separate experiences, but they're kind of parallel in a way. And I was thinking, yeah, I was, yeah. I was thinking about that as this happened. Like, uh, he's she has her go- doppelganger, and later on we find out, you know, he has his doppelganger as well. But but that's not until the last five minutes of the movie, right? And I, Which is also weird. And it's not, and it's not, pro- and it's not projected. So no. when it happened, I wasn't terribly surprised, but. I didn't see it coming necessarily either. So the fact that they just disregard the fact that she is identical to, you know, and Bob yeah. apparently doesn't notice, nobody else notices, yeah. it's it's weird. It's true, it's true. Yeah. I, <laughs> but we, I don't know, I don't know where just, to go. But at this point, like, I don't know, we're about halfway through the movie, and finally we've gotten to this point. Like, by, at this point, you might wonder, why why was this recommended to us as a horror film? And it's not until you see that bizarre-ass creature all bloodied and weird in her bathroom and then her, you know, stab that guy in the neck to death with the bottle that you realize maybe we're treading into horror territory. And it certainly heads more into horror territory as we go on. But we'd be remiss to point out that the guy responsible for the effects of this movie is Carlo Rambaldi, who is an icon in horror effects. Uh He had his start in Italy. He's Italian, obviously. Had his start in Italian cinema. A couple of the movies we've already reviewed, A Bay of Blood, uh, Deep Red, uh, one of Argento's movies, he did the effects for. But then he moved over to Hollywood, and he started working for Spielberg. So he did the effects for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which he'd actually just 
been in the middle of, if not just off the the top of working when he worked when he did this movie, and then later on would do ET. I mean, he was responsible for ET's I know uh, effects design, and and you know went on to do more after that. Again, listening to the commentary of the director of this movie, he talked about actually how frustrating it it, it was uh, to work with. Uh, Carlo Rambaldi because he comes to Italy and he said he had this suitcase full of condoms, pink condoms. He's like, all right, we're going to put together some creature with these pink condoms. And, uh, you know, the director looked at it and was like, okay, well, but, you know, we're shooting tomorrow. And he's like, what? What do you mean we're shooting tomorrow? Like, like he had just come from Hollywood where, you know, you spend like a week or two putting together things right. and getting the lighting and stuff right. Um, but he's like, no, no, no. So he had to craft uh, pretty quickly through the night in the hotel room with a few of his assistants the creature effects for this movie. And I think the creature effects at the end of the day turned out to be kind of a happy accident in the sense that, and the director said this too, in the sense that early on, some of these earlier representations of the creature are quite, it's just kind of a mess, right? You can't really see what it is. It's got these tentacled things yeah. coming off of it, and it's not quite so sophisticated. By the very end of the film, we see a more sophisticated version of this creature. But holy crap, this woman's got this weird-ass tentacled creature in her apartment. That she fucks. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> she says, and, but, yeah. And- and we get to see it later, which mm. is really weird, mm. but she says it, too. Like, because, okay, so the original PI that Mark hired comes to him and is like, the detective that I hired is missing. And again, they have a really oddly intimate conversation where they are centimeters from each other's faces, like, holding hands and caressing one another's hands. And the PI says, Mark gives... The, the detective had called him before he went in and he gave him, he said, I found her, I have the address. So Mark has the address. So he gives the PI the, the address and the PI is like, oh, okay, well, that guy's my lover. Like, okay, great. Mm. Um, so, so the PI goes over there and he walks into the bedroom and this creature thing is like writhing in the bed. He's very tired. He made love to me all night. And I almost threw up. Like, it's so gross. It's like... Because not only is the creature gross, but it's like laying in a pool of what looks like blood and pus and cum. It's disgusting. It's like, did I just stumble into a Japanese movie all of a sudden? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Japanese tentacle porn thing. Tokyo Gore Police, right. (laughs) It's true. Oh. It's effective. So weird. And then, so she kills him too. <laughs> uh, and and then, like, Helen visits Mark's apartment, and just out of nowhere, they just decide to get naked and lay in bed together. Yeah. And, <laughs> then, and then Bob wakes up in the middle of the night screaming, and so he gets up to go take care of Bob, and, like, while he's gone, <clears throat> still totally naked, but she has gotten herself dressed and she's like i'm sorry i gotta go and then there's just like kind of weird tension between them like Mm. what what is i i don't know 
what is i don't know i I don't know what's happening for myself i took it as a sort of a confused mental state he's got his wife is kind of is 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 out to lunch and he's lost but he really wants her but she's distant and she's not there and he and then this this woman that looks like his wife he brings her over it's not even clear that they had sex because at one point they say she says you don't have to make love to me and he says i know and they just he's like i'm not trying to. i'm not trying to laugh yeah and they just laugh and so that's unclear but she goes and then and then the shortly thereafter he drops the son off at the school and he just kind of like purposefully ignores her he turns his head and walks away to which she seems a little dismayed as she stares after him but it's like it's like he feels like he made a mistake and again that's why like sort of eyes wide shut was coming back to me I, i feel like it's this emotional landscape that this couple has to go you know traverse while they're going through these problems there's other people and there's this difficulty and there's this how do i get my release but how do i stay true true and faithful to my partner and it's just kind of a big mess like the movie right and we're in this mode too watching it i thought also some political things were kind of sneaking in here too right I don't know. Well, they're <laughs> like what? Every now and then, Mark is looking out the window and he's got a watch hanging from the handle on the window for reasons I'm not quite sure. But he's looking out the window and it's like the wall there that separates East and West Germany is, is there. It's like outside their uh-huh. apartment, it's also outside her apartment. And there are constantly people almost looking with, with glasses right up into their window. Like laughing, yeah. Like they're under this constant surveillance, right? And they, there's a lot of discussion in this movie about evil, you know, and about how evil. Like Heinrich yeah. talks about evil, and she talks about evil. Helen talks about evil and when God she's, and God. Uh-huh. I, I love Helen's line when she's in there. So, like you said, Mark had invited her in, and she cleans up. This is before they lay in bed, but um, she helps give. Um, uh, give uh, Bob a bath and puts him to bed, and then she goes into the kitchen, starts cleaning things up, and she says, "Oh, you really need more help around here." And then, as she's cleaning the knife off in this scene that is shot that looks really sinister, she says, "I come from a place where evil seems easier to pinpoint because you can see it in the flesh." Hmm. I know, and I was like, "Where is that place?" Like, right? What? Well, <laughs> who or what are you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally interpreted it as East Germany, ah, literally in the movie. But again, I think there's a thematic element to this as well, right? Because then she turns to him and she says, "I'm not sure I like your place either." There's just, it's a mess, right? It's just layer upon layer upon layer of meaning and double entendre that is going to take way more than an hour, you know, if we really wanted to dive in and unpack all these things. Right. So. Well, and I don't know that I could. That's the thing. Like, I I feel like I could watch this movie several more times and I still would not be sure Mm. what was going on or what was intended. And, like, things don't escape me. Like, it didn't, I mean, some things do, but it didn't escape me that, you know, that scene of him laying in bed with Helen was virtually identical to the scene with him laying in bed with Anna from the beginning of the movie. You know, laying side by side, nude in bed, being shot from directly above. I mean, aside from the fact that her hair and eyes are a different color, it could be two clips from the same scene. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I presume there's something, you know, about duality. Like, maybe she represents 
the part of Anna that he loved and that he misses. And, you know, the other Anna, the crazy, wild-eyed, shrieking freak Anna is, you know, the other side, the darker side. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. There's also this fact that um, this Anna, Anna is a teacher. She's a pretty simple, seems very happy teacher of young children. And then Mark comes back and he finds a film reel that was left to him, we find out, by Heinrich. And it's a sort of Super 8 or 60 millimeter movie that Heinrich shot of Anna. And this is of Anna in a ballet class. And so we find out Anna herself is also a teacher, uh-huh. but she's a ballet teacher. And in this ballet class, she's rather intense, to put it mildly, as I've actually heard ballet can be. And then I was thinking of Suspiria. Yeah. But, but anyway, <laughs> right. you know, uh, she's in this ballet class and she's basically pushing this girl. It's a constant monologue coming out of her mouth. But she's like, you got to get your knees up. You got to do whatever and whatever. In the meantime, as she's doing this, this girl is in pain and she's more and more uncomfortable. And finally, she just runs out of the class. And then Anna delivers this monologue to the camera, which by this point is us. We've switched to the point of view of us, not wa- not Mark watching the footage, but just like us watching the footage. Right. And she delivers this extreme long monologue that's clearly a stream of consciousness, you know, from her part. And at this point, I felt like the film was getting a little pretentious because this stream of consciousness coming from her is all about like, I feel like I'm stuck between two worlds well it's it's like the two sisters of faith and chance my faith can exclude chance but my chance can 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 explain faith my faith didn't allow me to wait for chance and chance didn't give me enough faith well and then i read that private life is a stage only at playing in many parts that are smaller than me and yet i still play them i suffer i believe i am but at the same time, I know there's the third possibility, you know, like cancer or madness. But cancer or madness contort reality. The possibility I'm talking about pierces reality. And it was useful information, but it was delivered in this way that, you know, come on. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, so through that video, but then it was also really odd because first Mark is watching the video, and then with no transition... He's sitting there talking to her like Mm. it's like a continuation of what she was talking about in the video. But now they're together, whereas we had just seen him alone. It unsettled me. But then, okay, so this is the craziest part of the movie, in my (laughs) opinion. While she's talking about this, we see her and and. It turns out, I guess, that this is a flashback. But in the moment, I had no idea if this was happening. Now, I didn't. I, I didn't know what was going on. She's walking in a subway station, and she acts crazy all the time. So I wasn't all that weirded out that she was just kind of laughing maniacally in the subway station. But it just progresses over the course of several minutes to where she's flailing around. She has groceries. She flings the groceries up against the wall, and it was like eggs and milk, so it's all wet, and she's, like, rolling around in it in the ground. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> like, she 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 kneels down on the ground and grabs her crotch, and blood and pus and gore start coming out of every orifice of her body. Mm. And 
it's it's incredibly gross and she refers to it as a miscarriage and she said what i miscarried that day was uh sister faith and so all that's left is sister chance but then she also talks about so now because she miscarried the faith she has to like nurture it and care for it so like did she birth that creature is that I think so what we're yeah it's <sighs> it's confusing in the middle of the film and uh again i listened to the commentary by the director and he said this was another one of these happy accidents because of um you know i talked earlier about the special <laughs> the special effects guy he had all these like weird condoms and stuff and he was supposed to actually have a creature ready for the scene but there was none so they basically ended up shooting it the way it was without explicitly her birthing some creature and so, and then he put it in the movie kind of out of order, right? Yeah. Uh, in this sort of weird flashback. So he ended up liking the fact that it was a little ambiguous, but initially in the movie was a little more continuous in that she would birth the creature and then we would see this creature in the bathtub. And then, you know, again, by the end of the movie, we would see the result. So, uh, but, but as we watch the movie now, it's, it's considerably ambiguous what she's talking about. But yeah, I think, I think the point is that she had some kind of, she calls it a miscarriage, but she ended up birthing some creature, which th- then, yeah, manifests itself and becomes, um, spoiler alert, becomes Sam, uh, becomes the doppelganger of um, Sam Neill's right. character. Yeah. The green-eyed doppelganger, right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say this scene was so gross and yeah. so troubling to watch. And thinking about... Uh, I say this, and I don't want to sound pretentious, because from an actor's perspective, like, okay, yeah, I do, like, community theater. It's not like, <laughs> you know, I, I, have this, I have this great perspective, you know, but from an actor's perspective, I can't begin to imagine where you would have to go to put in that kind of performance. Like, yeah. Yeah. it was insane. And... And I've read interviews with her when she said, you know, this is the kind of movie that you can only make when you're young because it, it just requires too much. Like, you just have to give too much. And she said, I, I couldn't do it again. I, I could never do something like that again. <clears throat> and I kind of understand that because I remember being a young actor and, you know, really feeling passionate about really giving it your all and really getting into the character. And now that I'm old, <laughs> <laughs> I I just don't even know if I could get to those places uh, anymore. Yeah. Um, but it's really intense. And as bizarre as her performance is, she's 100% committed to it. And I completely understand yeah. why she got the accolades that she did for her performance. Well, she got Best um, best Actress for this movie. Yeah. There's a Caesar Award, which is basically the uh, French Academy Awards. And she's still holds the record for the most number of... Uh, she, she, got, she got Best Actress five times once for this movie. Wow. Yeah, so she's pretty insanely good. She's still, by the way, making movies, and she still looks stunning. Huh. She's known as a bit of a prima donna, and that, and actually the director complained that she was a bit, even during the filming of this movie. But like you said, she said this film took a lot out of it. The director took her to some very dark places, and uh, there's a bit of a rumor, and the director even sort of confirmed it, saying that she even maybe tried to commit suicide 
after doing this film just because she was such a wreck. It might have also been an attention-getting thing. It's hard to say. I don't want to diminish that. But uh, yeah, the point is, this movie clearly, you can see it on screen, took her to some dark places, took a lot out of her. Definitely, she is at the top of her craft at this point. Uh, oh gosh, okay, so yeah, I mean, I'm trying to hurry along because we're, we're almost to the hour mark and there's still stuff that happens. I don't know how much of it is all that important. Heinrich comes to her apartment, she shoots him... But or no, stabs him, right? Yes. He finds the dead bodies and stuff, and so she stabs him um, in the abdomen or in the chest, but he is okay-ish and runs away. And he calls Mark and says, meet me at this bar on the corner or whatever. And so Mark then goes to her apartment first, also finds the dead bodies, uh, turns on the gas in the apartment, then goes to meet Heinrich, and kills Heinrich in the bathroom. Now, at this point... Yeah, I was not expecting that. Well, I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but from the point that Mark found the dead bodies, I felt like that was a turning point for him. Like, he lost it, too. Mm. And from that point forward, he was crazy. And his only objective was protecting her. Um, because he still loves her and he still wants to be with her despite the fact that she's with this creature that he hasn't seen yet. So he kills Heinrich. He blows up the apartment, her apartment. He tells her to go home. She does. When he comes back, um, he finds that she has cut Wendy's throat for reasons unexplained. Maggie's throat. Uh, Marge, Margie or whatever. Margie, Margie, yeah, Margie's throat, yeah. And so he helps cover that up. He tells her to go somewhere and he'll come meet her. And and then I feel like he disposes of the body or something. And then when he goes to meet her, he walks into wherever she is. I'm totally confused at this point. I don't really know where she is. I think she's at Marge's apartment, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But he walks, he walks in and you can hear obvious sex noises. Yeah. And like, he's clearly troubled by that, but it's like, he can't not look. And so he walks into the room where she is getting railed by this disgusting, tentacled squid monster and it's pretty freaking graphic like yeah like it is a sex scene yeah no (laughs) question so weird this guy did et like a couple years later by the way (laughs) just i know know. (laughs) and this thing this thing is like thrusting into her with this he like it's huge tentacled body and he just stands there and watches and like they like make eye contact and she just keeps saying almost almost and i'm like ew almost what And so then, okay, so he leaves and he goes to Heinrich's house because Heinrich's mom calls him. So weird. I feel like the scene could have been cut entirely. I don't know why, what this was. Well, they have a whole conversation. Like, she's like, oh, yes, uh, you know, I know you loved her, but Heinrich loved her too. And it's like this very casual conversation at the end of which she kills herself (laughs) and he just sits there and holds her hand while she dies. And then he comes back to where she is, and at first I thought it was the cops that were there, but it's not. It's whoever he was working for in the beginning. Mm. 
and they're looking for him, and so he hires a, well, he doesn't hire, he forces at gunpoint a taxi driver to cause a distraction by crashing a car, so that, I think, so that Anna can get away, because somebody drives away in his car, and then there's a shootout, and he (laughs) shoots a guy, but he also gets shot, and then he takes off on Heinrich's motorcycle, and goes to this place. I don't know what this place is. Do you? No, he's just driving to like the bay or something. He's just like, I don't know what. Yeah. He goes in this building and it's just this huge staircase. Like a not yeah. like, well, not like a tight spiral staircase, but like, you know, the stairs go round and round all the way up. And he starts going up there and then she meets him there. Like he's dying cuz he's been shot and he's bloody he's on he's like on the landing and then she comes up and he yells at her to go away or to run or something but when she finally gets up there she has with her him his doppelganger yeah that's bizarre and like acting really weird and has these bright green eyes like helen had she says like he's done or he it's finished Mm -hmm. or something like that this is what i made kind of thing yeah uh-huh and then so mark raises his gun to shoot the doppelganger but before he can he and anna are machine gunned down by his old associates <laughs> yeah one of which who is the guy he was tailing apparently right because early in the in the movie um, when he had that weird meeting and something that, about pink socks, I don't know. Yeah, and it turns out the guy had the pink sock. That bit I didn't get either. I was, I thought, was this supposed to be some twist? But by that point, I was so far gone. It seemed so inconsequential compared to everything else that had been happening up to that point. And then the uh, the doppelganger escapes through the roof, and the next thing that we see is Bob in Helen's apartment, apparently, and she's like taking care of him, like giving him breakfast or something. And then there's a knock on the door. And Bob says, don't answer it. And she's like, well, I have to. And so she starts walking, and Bob just starts, like, screaming, don't answer it, don't answer it, don't answer it. And he runs, and you can see it's a glass door. Uh, you can see the doppelganger silhouette on the other side as she's approaching the door. Bob <laughs> runs upstairs in his pajamas, jumps into an already drawn bath, and kills himself himself somehow i'm not quite sure yeah (laughs) i mean one way or another he just gets in there in his clothes and then just floats face up and that's it like for a while uh yeah that's the last we see of him and then we see anna standing at the door getting ready to open the door and then all of a sudden all these sirens start going off and explosions and the lights are flashing and she turns around and the camera just zooms in on her face as the lights are flashing and then it cuts to black and that's the end <laughs> and i don't know like i'm thinking like this it's the end of the world like it's an yeah. apocalypse the like the, the these two entities whatever they are you know these doppelgangers of our main characters are coming together in like some sort of unholy union or something mm. but it's all you know it, it, we don't know we don't know what happens and I, I swear it cut to black, and I'm sitting alone in my living room. <laughs> what <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> so weird. Yeah. One of the 
weirdest movies I've ever seen. And there are so many things. We're already over time. There are so many things that we didn't talk about. Yeah. That I'm sure are important. Dead dogs <laughs> and... Oh, man, that was a wild, wild ride of a movie. But you mentioned it had a serious, strong emotional effect on you, right? I mean, and me too. And I feel like that's the point. You know, we talk about this when we talk about a lot of European movies, about the giallo pictures, how the plot doesn't make any sense. It's almost nonsensical, but it almost seems like that's not important. Like, the point is that the director, the maker of this film is trying to get an emotional response, is trying to put you in a particular state, trying to get you kind of in a sort of symbiosis with the emotional state of the characters in the movie. And I feel like this movie does that very effectively. And I'm pretty sure that's this director's purpose. I have not seen any of his other films. This is my first introduction to him. But based on this, I'm definitely going to be seeking them out. And, and apparently he makes a lot of movies like this and always ends them with an apocalypse at the end. Uh, he's Polish. He was born in Poland. He had to flee Poland because he couldn't make his movies there and stuff. Uh, he's got kind of this dreary background you know he's this background of tension and then this movie he said is probably the most autobiographical movie that he has ever made because he actually started writing it and making it when he was in the middle of a divorce with his wife so you can feel that emotion in this film uh and to that extent i feel like it's really successful i think it kind of does apparently what it set out to do and even though it's very difficult to unpack it seems to accomplish its purpose, which is to get you feeling for the characters and throw a lot of very uncomfortable things at you and get you thinking about it. And And I'll tell you just, again, I'm going to say personally, um, without giving too much detail, that, you know, it's not a 100% inaccurate reflection of the kind of emotional feelings you go through with a partner when you hit a point where maybe you're, you're you start to get a little, a little unsure and dramatic about your relationship you know and in that respect i feel like for me anyway personally it it hit a few uncomfortable places you know it it had some moments for me now i've never you know walked in on my wife banging a tentacled demon oh, God. or anything like that Ugh. anything close to that but you know like yeah <laughs> it's a wild ride this film I, I i get what you're saying and i and i get that you know the dynamics between in relationships when you love somebody so much and you've been with somebody for such a long time it does get weird i can't relate to this because it just seems so traumatic and i think that the reason that it's bothered me and stayed with me is maybe this is a very american thing but i think that i was uncovered uncomfortable with the level of ambiguity mm. like i feel like i'm missing something or that i'm too stupid <laughs> to, to get it no no i i i don't know but it, it definitely i mean i was just thinking about it and talking about it like i'm, I'm yeah. trying i'm talking to my sister i'm talking to my partner i'm talking to my friends like trying to kind of summarize some of the key moments <laughs> like just to try to process them for myself and i'm like <laughs> and then there's this bloody creature in the closet and then she f***s it and then i don't know like, <laughs> right. i don't know You're uh you're an English teacher. Have you ever read Ceremony by Leslie Marmon Silko? You ever read that no. book? No. It's a bit of a classic of Native American literature, and the book is titled Ceremony, and reading the book is like going through a ceremony. It's quite interesting. It's very 
profound kind of experience that the author somehow ends up putting you in a, an emotional state as you're reading this book mm-hmm. about some other characters. And I feel like this movie serves that same purpose. It it puts you through this state. It, it puts you through this same process of these characters in a way that we're not used to. Yeah. We're used to relating with people on this sort of level. It, it, in a way, Hollywood can be a little detached, right? Like, we observe and we see, oh, yeah, I relate to that. Or, oh, yeah, I had an experience like that. Mm-hmm. But a movie like this, like, gets into you. Yeah. And gets to your emotions. And it's like, now you are almost feeling what they're feeling. And it's very uncomfortable. Oh, gosh. Right? So- yeah, it definitely, it had a physical impact on me. Like, I was anxious. Like, my heart was racing. I was tense. <sighs> yeah. So, Yeah. I mean, again, I'm glad that we. I'm glad that we watched it. I don't think that I would put myself through it again. No. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and and honestly, how how many people would you recommend this movie to? You know, I mean, who would you say? Oh, you got to go see this. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> nobody. You, I guess. Uh. But I, it's it's one of those things that I think I'll just kind of like keep like a dirty little secret. It's like. When I read um, American Psycho, the book, when I read the book, when I was done with it, I threw it in the trash because I didn't want anybody else to see it. <laughs> and that's kind of how I that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Uh. But thanks, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I will echo that. Thank you, Chase, for giving us this film to watch to talk about. It's certainly going to go down as one of our more interesting episodes and one of our more fun conversations if you out there have another uh, idea of a movie just send them to us uh, you can look us up on facebook you can look us up online just google two guys in a chainsaw and you'll find our podcast please share it with a friend and also find our, our youtube page and if you haven't yet please subscribe to us there as well so we can build those numbers until next time i'm todd and i'm craig with two guys in a chainsaw ah.